You are listening to the Nirvana Podcast, episode 5, Tour Like It's 1989. Hello everybody and welcome to the Nirvana Podcast. My name is Sietse. And I'm Yiditja. And what we do here is uh, every episode we take a dive in the history and or music of the great band Nirvana. Yes, we certainly do. Yeah, and um, what we did in the first uh, episodes is first we talked about uh, the childhood of Kurt Cobain and Chris Novoselic, the founders of uh, Nirvana. Uh, then we uh, discussed the early days of the band and in the previous two episodes we talked about side A and side B of their uh, debut album. Uh, called Bleach, yeah. yeah, and we had a lot of fun with that, and I discovered uh, yeah, quite a lot of new things about the album yeah, as yeah, well. Yeah, definitely. And today we're going to talk about everything that happened uh, after they finished recording that album. Yes. So that's basically uh, the whole of uh, 1989. Uh, but before we're going to do so, I'd like to uh, give a little shout out to Mr. Nick Soulsby. Uh, he's the uh, founder of the website nirvanalegacy.com yep. and also a writer of uh, two very interesting books yep, about books. Nirvana, um, Cobain on Cobain. Yep. Interviews. Uh, yeah, interviews, lesser known interviews with, uh, with Kurt. And also I found my friends, an uh, oral history of Nirvana. Yep. It's been a while since I've read that one. Yeah. Well, basically it's, it's about Nirvana and Kurt Cobain uh, through interviews with other people. So hmm. it's a compilation of interview quotes yeah like uh, fellow bands and, and exactly stuff like that. family yeah. stuff like that so it gives a really nice insight from an outsider's perspective yeah which is good. yeah it was great and also uh, uh nick Solsby was uh, kind enough uh, to mention our podcast on yeah. his website and on his twitter feed so uh, i'd like to uh, return the favor yeah by the way this is also an interesting turning point i think in the earlier episode we talked about that there's a little source material mm -hmm. uh, to go by basically it's mostly uh, the biographies uh, come as you are or uh, heavier than heaven yep but around this time um, more is being documented yeah for a part that has to do with um the fact that uh, sub pop uh, nirvana's uh, record label at the time they were you know they were pretty keen on having a good PR yep. system, even though they didn't have a lot of money to spend. No, they, they basically, their marketing uh, in, in those first months or maybe years was, was maybe better even than their managing. Yeah, I think so, yeah. They made the best of it. Um, they, uh, at one point early in the year, they flew in a British uh, journalist yep. going by the name of Everett True. <laughs> yep. He's he, he's another person who wrote an interesting book about Nirvana. He's a bit of a typical guy, I have <laughs> yep. the feeling. But he uh, gave him a lot of uh, publicity. Um, he wrote the book Nirvana, The True Story, I think yeah, it's called. Yeah, I think so, yeah. Or at least an, another yeah. biography. And yeah, a lot of people who met with the band or saw them do anything or shook hands with them, they <laughs> either wrote a book themselves yep. or they show up in other people's books. <laughs> exactly, yeah. From this moment on, there is a, there's a lot more documentation and... Uh, before we uh, dive into 1989 and everything that happened, um, I'd like to uh, invite everybody to go to our Facebook page, yes. which is facebook.com slash Nirvana Podcast, and uh, maybe uh, like us. Yep. And then you'll stay up to date. Uh, we uh, 
we let you know if there's a new episode of the podcast out, but we also sometimes share some extra footage or images or yeah, stuff or we talked about and uh, we want to show there in full. So uh, if you uh, enjoy listening to the podcast, please uh, go there and like us because it's uh, a nice way for us to also uh, well see that you care. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Uh, also, it's a convenient way of uh, reaching out to us yep. because you can send us a message if you don't like Facebook for some reason, and <laughs> maybe there's good reasons yep. not to like Facebook. <laughs> you can also send us an email and then you can send it to surewoodpodcast at gmail.com. The pretty bizarre email address for this podcast is surewoodpodcast at gmail.com. <laughs> So and if you don't like <laughs> Facebook, turn to Google to reach out to us. <laughs> and if you want to know why that's our email address, just go back to the first episode and uh, we'll explain it to you. Yeah, right. So now let's get to it. The year 1989 for Nirvana started with them finishing uh, the uh, Bleach uh, sessions. Yep. So they, uh, they recorded uh, the last uh, stuff uh, for the album. Yep. Although the album didn't uh, get released until June. So yeah. it was a long time between that. Yeah, and that was pretty inconvenient because uh, right after they finished recording the album, um, they hit the road. Yep. So they did quite a quite a, uh, a lot of gigs and, and performances, um, not as a three-piece, but as a four-piece because yes. uh, joining the band at that moment was uh, Mr. Jason Everman. His name came up before because you can also uh, see his picture uh, on the uh, front cover of Bleach, yep. he's the guy with the long curly curly hair. <laughs> exactly, and if you have uh, the original version of uh, the album, then his name will be on there as well. Yeah. Even though he didn't play on it. No, but he did pay for the album. Yes. And also um, they wanted to f- make him feel at home in the band because yep. he was there for only a couple of months, but those were the months in which uh, the artwork and stuff was prepared. So, exactly. Yeah. So that's what that's what happened. And basically, Kurt wanted to have like an extra guitar player yeah. uh, in the band because he uh, he felt that there was more room needed for the guitar parts because he he was starting to write like more elaborate music and he felt that by just having one guitarist himself, they couldn't do everything live. Yeah. So. He wanted an extra person there. Yeah, that's and it, it kind of makes sense. Yep. Uh, one of the sub pop uh, guys, um, he noted that um, they had a massive sound going yep. on, the three of them. But then Kurt uh, was when he played a the solo. Then of course the rhythm guitar parts exactly. Well, they fell away. So yep. uh, then it was a lot thinner sounding. Yep. Yep. So it it kind of makes sense to have an extra guitar player uh, on. Uh, let's have a listen to how it sounded. Yeah, uh, we're going to a uh, live performance uh, from that period. Um, so uh, you can also hear uh, Jason Everman uh, play, and they're playing the song Blandest. So here's a small piece of that. <laughs> Yeah, that's about enough, I think, to get a to get an impression. The, the audio quality isn't isn't uh, great. No, but you still uh, get a feel for uh, how they sounded, and and you can definitely hear that 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 wall of sound is there for the uh, for the live performance. So that's good. Yeah, and also I wanted uh, to um, throw in this song because we mentioned it before. Yeah, they recorded it as a possible B side for the first single, but. Uh, 
then discarded it. Uh, uh, we haven't uh, played this song in the podcast just yet. Nope. So uh, I thought it was a nice uh, variation. There's very little live versions of this one. Yep. This might even be the only one. I'm not Could 100% be. sure. Anyway, that that's basically what they sounded like, the, the four of them. Which isn't too bad, but the tour wasn't a big success. No. But that was logical because um, <laughs> nobody really knew them at that moment. Um, they had the single out, but the album wasn't there yet. Single was was pressed in in like a low quantity, so not a lot of people had heard of them. So it's it's hard to get people to the shows. I think they they opened for Mud Honey. Um, on that tour who were a bit more known but also still at the start of their career so and there was also I think a lot of problems with like on the technical side often yeah that's something that comes back throughout the entire (laughs) touring Mm. year I think so it wasn't uh, ideal yeah, like I said, um, sometimes uh, gigs would get cancelled because uh, nobody showed up, or hardly anybody, yep. or just just a handful of people. I think they sometimes opened up for for yep. Mud Honey, not, but not, not, not always. No, no. Um, they played really small small rooms, and it just didn't really work out. I think they were disappointed as well because yep. well they had just made an album, yeah, and then they thought they would you know step up a bit. Exactly, but that didn't really uh, didn't really happen. No. Also, the dynamics within the band didn't really work out, no. and I'm not sure if they felt that Jason Everman was a good enough guitar player. No. There's this quote from one of the technical guys who said, "I heard uh, two guitar sounds coming in, and only uh, Kurt Cobain's uh, guitar made sense." <laughs> so I put that one way up, and then. Um, <laughs> Jason's wow. was was really uh, yeah, yeah, yeah low in the uh, in the mix. I can imagine that it must have been hard for him coming in uh, at that moment um, oh. because they just started like to find their form as a threesome because he hadn't played with them in the studio. I mean, playing live with them probably with not a lot of rehearsals and then under circumstances like this, I can imagine that it wasn't easy for him no and also there's all of these these weird stories about how they sort of sabotage their own (laughs) gigs as well which makes sense because if you don't have an audience then you start doing weird stuff yeah i i I, and you get tired of touring and exactly in a a van and you know yeah you you get get, bored you get bored you get annoyed you start drinking too much and do weird stuff on stage i really like all of those stories that like (laughs) it sometimes feels that nirvana during this period especially was not just a band but also like a circus act <laughs> because there's so many mentions of like Kurt playing his guitar while standing on his head yeah there's and, a picture and of that exactly and, picture, and, yeah. and and like Chris um, throwing his bass guitar in the air and then catching it or not catching it yeah, that's <laughs> true lots yeah. of lots of those things going well, on well they weren't afraid of a bit of showmanship no I mean, there's stuff you have like to that. do something if, yeah. if people don't and really pay attention to you. Yeah, they, it makes sense. Yeah, yeah that's that's true. Yeah. And, um, yeah. So in a way, they were growing as a live act as well. I think because they were experimenting. Yeah. 
and see what what worked and what didn't work. Uh, a lot of times it felt that they were out of control and yep. they probably were. So they were like searching for the balance between having a good stage performance and you know um, drawing the attention and yep. being out of control and destructive. <laughs> exactly. And something like that. So yeah, it must be hard to be the fourth member coming in. Yep. And I think another problem was that Jason Everman, he was really big into uh, speed metal. Yep. And Nirvana, in the beginning, they sounded a lot more metal-like. Yeah. Yep. We just discussed the Bleach album. There's a lot of metal-sounding stuff on it. And Jason had been in a band before with uh, Chad Channing, the drummer of the yep. time. And I think they both liked metal a lot. And yep. they've played metal together in uh, their former band. And that was not the direction Kurt and Chris wanted to go. No. No, so there was a division in there as well. Yeah, um, but still, um, Jason um, stayed with the band long enough to uh, join them for one recording session. Yes. Which was a weird recording session because they were asked to perform uh, a song of the band Kiss. Yep. Uh, I suppose everybody knows the band Kiss. Yeah. Or at least knows the song I Was Made For Loving You. <laughs> exactly. I um, think that most people have a hard time mentioning any other Kiss song <laughs> after well, that. Well, I know the song, Do You Love Me? Uh, yes. <laughs> because that's the song that Nirvana got to do for a, a comp- compilation album. Yeah. Where underground punk rock grunge band were asked to... I don't know who come up, came up with the idea, but no, there but was a session. Yeah, there and was, there was a an session. Album. Yeah, exactly. There's a lot of... of, of contemporary bands um, and colleagues of, of Nirvana who are on that album with Kiss covers. Yeah, and even the Melvins. Yeah, Melvins big. are on there. Yeah. Okay, so let's, uh, let's listen to uh, what they played. Uh, they played uh, Do You Love Me? like how like when that song starts you think oh this this could be yeah nirvana i get it and then when the the, the melody of the song really kicks in then you're like no no this is <laughs> yeah. something entirely different and they they haven't changed it that much from how it sounded so right. so it's it's basically i mean it's a nice cover but it's it's not really interesting like they did well, later on with covers that's true but i think that's Mostly because they didn't take it very seriously yeah. and they were having fun with it. And, yep. you know, Kurtz is singing pretty uh, ironically because, well, yes. <laughs> they were like the anti-Kiss. You know, I mean, like uh, being yep. a cool rock act. I mean, exactly. that didn't fit them at all. So no, they no, no. They, they were with it. Exactly. And they were, it's, it's a nice contrast because they were described during that period, especially when you get back to those journalist from the UK who, who famously wrote about Nirvana saying like these are like really normal people and, and, yeah. and you can you can see if they're not playing music they have like they a, would fix your car exactly. that quote yeah and, and and like kiss with their like stage attitude and their exuberant uh, yeah. outfits and, and face paint and fireworks and, is yeah. exactly the opposite of what Nirvana is yeah, yeah. So it, it, it's, it's a weird little 
thing they did. Yeah. It's 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 fun that it's that it exists at yeah. least. Yeah. And like I said, it's like a historical document for the Jason Everman. Uh, so you can hear him play on this song and on the song called Dive, Dive yep. uh, which later uh, was released um, as a B-side for the uh, Sliver single. And it's also on the Incesticide uh, collection. Yeah, so we'll get to that later on. Um, but they recorded it at the same time, which yeah. makes sense. I mean, they probably had a bit more studio time. So, yeah. Yeah, and the guy who produced them, uh, he also said that they weren't working that seriously on Do You Love Me, but they put in a bit more effort when they were <laughs> recording their own song. Yeah, so makes sense. And after that, they uh, went on tour again. I think it was like a, a college tour. And uh, yep. um, that was the beginning of the end for uh, Mr. Everman. Yep, <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah, because apparently they went all the way up to New York. Yeah. And then, well, tensions were getting really high between mostly Jason and uh, Kurt and Chris. Yeah. And one night uh, Kurt and Chris got drunk and did some drugs, I think, and then decided to kick out Jason. Yeah. But <laughs> also um, forgot to tell him. <laughs> Which is, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the story is that they drove back to uh, Olympia or Seattle all the way from New York. Yep. Uh, and uh, during the drive back home, uh, Nobody said a word. <laughs> Which is uh, really... Awkward. Awkward. Was that also when they cancelled the last yeah. couple of gigs, right? Yeah, I, I believe they were supposed to have some gigs in Canada even. Yeah. But they cancelled them. They, yeah. they cancelled the, the, the final final leg of that tour because mm. of because of their, their problems. And I think that Kurt also had some stomach problems around that time yeah. already. Uh, but they did, they had to come back later for those dates yeah that's possible yeah so they 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 did them later on but without jason yeah and there's also this this story about how that last show in new york was pretty horrible because of the tensions and whatever but apparently um they had iggy pop in the audience that would be sad for them to to do like a really lousy gig, but then have one of their heroes be there. <laughs> yeah. Well, from what I've heard of it, um, most of those gigs were pretty lousy. So, True. <laughs> you know, yeah. it, it wasn't like, oh, they had a, a massive streak of great performances and then no. one night they sucked and that was the <laughs> night when Iggy Pop, Pop came, came no, to see no, him. That's and maybe um, Iggy liked what he saw, even yeah. though could, it wasn't that good. Could definitely be, and we don't know how Iggy himself was feeling while he was in the audience, I mean. True. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so so they went back home. Um, yep. Jason Everman was, well, uh, in the end, he found out that he was out of the band. Yep. Bit of a sad story, um, because after that, uh, he joined Soundgarden. Yep. Uh, as a bassist, I believe. Yeah, I think so. Um, but he was kicked out of Soundgarden as well before uh, they... Uh, they made it big. Before they yeah. made it big. And after that, I believe he had a pretty um, successful uh, career in the military. Mm. Oh, Went I to Afghanistan. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Uh, yeah, I think he did really well in a completely different uh, <laughs> field, right. so, to, so to speak. Interesting. Yeah. So he, he, <laughs> he found the discipline in, in the military instead of... In touring yeah. with a band, wow! I guess so. It's an interesting, yeah. uh, interesting uh, figure. And Nirvana, I think they tried out one guy as a fourth guitar player, a friend mm-hmm. of them, but then decided not to no. uh, take him on. And so they stayed uh, a three-piece for uh, for the next uh, couple of years. 
I think that was probably a good idea at that moment because there were still tensions between them as well and everybody had their own little problems so not getting another new person in there was probably the right decision it might have been I mean the 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 ideas about the sound that they had I think actually especially later on with the new songs that wasn't that big of a problem anymore and I think also that maybe when they decided to stay as a three-piece um and had that experience in touring that Kurt probably um, had that in mind when writing new songs as well. Yeah, so yeah, possibly. And I think um, it was very clear that this was Kurt's band. Exactly. And Chris was on for the ride and supported him and probably came up with some stuff. But Kurt was uh, like the, the creative yep. force behind it. Um, yeah. I've read uh, in the Jason uh, in the Everett True uh, book, by the way, that the, when they tried out the possible uh, possible uh, fourth uh, member, yep. that he asked him, one, "Would you be okay if we uh, never play any of your songs because we're only going to play my songs?" Right. Yeah. So it was pretty clear. Yep. Even I think even with Jason, that um, Kurt did all the solos and stuff. Yep. So it was really uh, a role in the shadows if you would be the fourth uh, member so they went back home then um, something what i think is pretty interesting happened is that they started to collaborate with other people yep i think we mentioned for instance the lead belly recordings uh, already which they did around this period. Yeah, it was uh, Mark Langan from yep. uh, The Screaming Trees yep. and their drummer, whose n- name I don't oh, know by heart at the moment. I forgot it as well. And S- sorry, Chris drummer. And, 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 and Kurt, yeah. Yep. Um, let's, let's listen to some uh, some of that stuff. Yep. We've already listened in the first episode to uh, Ain't It a Shame and They Hung Him on a Cross. So uh, let's listen to A Grey Goose now. it's like oh I, I wish they'd like stayed together the four of them because the jury oh yeah the jury was was the name of the the, <laughs> the concept band um, but for me this works so well and yeah. I would have loved to hear more material yeah. by them because it's not although I'm, I must say Grey Goose isn't that good I think it's not that good but I think that there's something the, in there yeah there's something in there and it it's it sounds like there's a lot of interesting creative things going on with them and, and also the sound of, of all of the instruments and, and the singing on the other song is, is like, um, it really fits together. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I would have loved to hear more of that combination. Yeah, true. But at least we got four, four tracks out yeah. of it. So. Uh. That, uh, that's cool. Um, also, Kurt was asked um, as, a, as a guest member on the, the Go Team, yep. which was a project by uh, Toby Vale and Calvin Johnson, mm-hmm. oh, who, yeah. who was, the, was yep. the founder of K Records, yep. which was a, um, a record label um, from, the, from the area. 
Uh, fun fact, uh, Kurt had only one uh, tattoo, which was the letter K on a shield, which was the uh, logo of K Records. Did <laughs> wow. you know that? No, I didn't know that. Yeah, because I believe he said that he wanted something to remind him to stay childlike, something like that. Okay. To keep in touch with his inner child. I don't know, but that's the tattoo that he had. So. Well, it's 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 a K, which is also his first letter. So. Yeah. Sort of makes sense, I guess. Um, yeah, <laughs> kind of. <laughs> then again, tattoos not always make sense. That's that's also true. Yeah, um, but um, Calvin Johnson was a pretty big influence on him because yep. I think he also introduced him to the Vaselines. Yep. Yep. Um, and well, they covered a lot of Vaseline songs, and I think it helped Kurt um, to write more melodic songs and yep, you know definitely. drift away from the metal sounding Melvin sounding yep. stuff. And yeah, definitely. And I think that it must have also secured him in his feelings about that because um, like the Melvins were a big influence on him and lots of other bands as well. But he tend to listen a lot to what local bands did and and try to to fit in there um and i think having um local people to work with who can also um uh, promote other styles that that was something that he definitely needed because we know he already had that melodic side in him and um having other people like his peers telling him oh yeah I like that yeah. as well and did you know this band and whatever I think that really helped him in in feeling more secure about that side of his interest and and songwriting yeah uh, so when I have a listen to what he did with uh, the go team yes so uh, it's up to you do you want to listen to uh, scratch it out or bikini twilight uh, bikini twilight okay yes. here we go So again, I, I don't think this is the best song I've ever heard, but it is interesting because it shows that Kurt was doing other stuff as well. And you can hear this being an influence on what he did with Nirvana later on. Yeah. And I also think, I mean, um, I, I have no idea how this all came to be and, and where that title came from but for me like the sound of this um song and that's why i chose it is because it's um it has that that 60s california sound that 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 you can also hear in the original of of love bus which is also a a 60s song that has that melodic side to it and this one especially maybe it's it's my imagination but because it's also called bikini twilight i have this like Beach Boys with more <laughs> guitars feeling to it yeah. for some reason. It, it feels like that kind of influence, um, which which I find interesting. Yeah. And um, drumming for the Go Team and also singing for the Go Team was Toby Vale, who yes. would later become girls, uh, Kurt's girlfriend for a couple of months. Yep. Um, so we go to the third uh, collaboration that uh, uh, Kurt Cobain did, uh, which was with the band Earth. Yeah, it was a band, but it was 
an idea by uh, Dylan Carson, um, who was a friend of Kurt. Um, He was an old roommate. Um, He was also the guy who provided him with the shotgun at the end of his life. Um, So that's his... um, uh, Claim to fame. Claim to fame. It's really dark. Yeah, Yeah. that's... uh, Sorry, Dylan. Yeah, yeah, because that's... um, um, fortunately, that's not the only thing he did because he's had a big career in music. Um, not big as in um, that many people know him, but he's made a lot of records uh, ever since and, and done a lot of music work. Um, and this project, this Earth uh, that he started, was something that they called it Drone Doom, <laughs> um, which is basically a, a combination of of uh, doom metal and uh, drone music. And drone music is um, a sort of um, minimal music that is based on a droning sound, which is like one tone that you keep hearing throughout an entire song. And to illustrate that, uh, I think we should listen to it. So you get what I mean. Oh, I could listen to that all day. Well, the, the, the interesting thing about the, the droning thing is that it's actually really old already. Um, in medieval times, they, they did songs with just the drone and then people singing over that. So, so it's, it's actually quite traditional, I'd say. Okay. <laughs> it's a shame that, that like, the vocals are so back in the mix in this one. Um, yeah. They're almost inaudible which I think is a shame um, because that gives it a bit of texture. And that's also where we hear Kurt singing, um, but it's hard to hear. Yeah. And I, th- um, well, I think it's pretty cool to note that, you know, um, the new sound of Nirvana would be somewhere in between the Go team <laughs> and Earth. Exactly. With a little bit of metal and screaming and weirdness, but yes. also some melodics and some yep. pop sensibilities. Um, yeah, and maybe also a little bit of the jury, you know, with a little bit of blues feel. Yeah. If you, if you put those in a mix when you kind of see where they were coming yeah, from. Yeah, definitely. And I think that um, doing all, all of those collaborations with other people and having that studio time, which was new to Kurt as well, um, and having that label being a bit more known and having those other friends and colleagues that uh, were getting those record deals as well meant that they had more studio time. Um, and being able to not just rehearse stuff, but also record it and... and hear what it sounds like when you do it like that. I think that that has been a major influence on not just the, the new songs he was writing, but just his his music, musicianship as a whole, having yeah. that experience. Yeah, you, you may be right. Um, towards the end of the summer, um, Nirvana was getting back together in the studio yep. because they did some recording sessions for an EP that was to be released. Uh, which would later be called the Blue um, uh, EP. And uh, they uh, didn't all end up on that EP, but they tried out some new uh, songs that Kurt wrote. Uh, Two of them uh, we're going to have a listen to. Uh, First, a token Eastern song. 
Okay, I want to hold it right there. I mean, that's kind of like the intro of Do You Love Me, don't you think? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So so here's uh, uh, Do You Love Me. And here's Token Eastern Song. Back in the day, I had a, a bootleg album yep. uh, with this song on it, but it was called Junkyard. So for mm-hmm. a long time, I thought this song was called Junkyard. Yep. It's a weird name, Token Eastern Song. Yeah, this this is probably another one of those. Oh, we don't have a title. What's this? Oh, it's the Token Eastern Song. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I don't think that every album has like a Token Eastern Song there, but no. it sort of... <laughs> And it doesn't sound Eastern, but no, I think that's a, a weird, joke, it's probably. A weird title. Yeah. Um, so on to the next one, uh, even in its youth. this song again and it would be a b-side yep of one of the nevermind singles yep i yep. don't know which one no can't remember we'll we'll get to that yeah <laughs> we'll get to that later but uh yeah it's a, a, a kind of like this song yep you can Me really too. hear kurt's new songwriting yep. style i think both one. of them is uh, are, are like like if you were to do like a movie or maybe a commercial and you wanted to have like a Nirvana song but you couldn't get it because of rights mm-hmm. and you'd go to a composer and say like I I need a Nirvana-like song then both of these would be like you hear it's it's like it's it's Nirvana but it's they're close to their form it's like they're 90% there yeah and they're just missing that 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 final 10% that makes it like perfect vintage Nirvana. Yeah. Yeah, cool. Yeah, um, well, I must say, personally, I, I really like Even In His Youth. Uh, yeah. So that's that's what they did. They recorded a bunch of songs for uh, an EP that would come out by the end of the year. Yeah. Yeah. And they, it's, it's a bit of a weird story, I think. I think we talked before about how what they recorded and what, what was released wasn't always it didn't feel logical. Um, the EP was supposed to be um, for the UK and European market, I think. Yeah, um, to promote their to pr- yeah, promote upcoming their tour. tour. Um, 
But it was released after the tour was exactly. already finished. Um, and, but I think it was released so late because nobody really thought it was a good idea. It didn't really make sense, especially because um, those UK journalists had already uh, been to the US and already knew about Nirvana and they knew yeah. the album because the album had... Uh, Bleach has, had already Finally been released, been released. Yeah, that summer, um, in June. In June, so having that extra EP wouldn't have made that much sense because they had to like sell Bleach A brand first. new album. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it... it Don't know what no. happened there. <laughs> somebody came up with the idea to do a recording session and make an EP. Yep, and yep. I don't know if, if it was the record label guys or maybe the band. I or think it was the record label who wanted to yeah. do it. Yeah. Yeah, but still, it's uh, it's nice that we have these uh, these recordings. Yeah, uh, and then, like you said, they took off for their first European tour. Yes. So they uh, flew to the UK. Yeah. And they were quite popular there already. Yes. Thanks to mostly the idea of the sop up uh, guys to fly in a, a yep. British journalist, Ever True, who was a writer for uh, Melody Maker. Melody magazine. Maker, yeah, which was one of the biggest magazines in uh, in the UK. Uh, yeah, and he really started up the hype, not just around Nirvana, but also uh, Mud Honey, Soundgarden. Yep. And the whole grunge thing, yeah. which was a, a really good idea by the sop up guys yeah, to really brand it grunge. Um, it's it's interesting how that took off because um, like I can I can remember that vividly from that time oh. that the whole uh, like there's something new and it's called grunge was was really like <laughs> you didn't really know what it was but you knew it was something with guitars and and whatever so it it sort of felt like interesting and it was from from the US so as a European um, uh, remember everyone this was before the internet so <laughs> it, it ancient was history ancient history so uh, getting getting that through like reading the, the music magazines and and listening to the radio and also MTV which was getting popular in Europe around that time um, uh, that also paid attention to that whole oh there's something new from America and it's called grunge that really paid off and and uh, especially in the UK where the music journalists really um, like labels and hypes like that um, they really love like jumping onto the next big thing, big thing. Yeah. so that was like a, a, a masterpiece from sub pop to do that and that that definitely paid off. Yeah, that was really good. And also, I think that the interesting thing is, I mean, later on, I know that that Kurt was annoyed by that whole grunge thing. Yeah, um, everybody was. Everybody was eventually, and I think that that there's no real definition. I think about what grunge is. Sometimes it's like, oh, everybody who comes from that northwestern area. Sometimes it's like everything with heavy guitars from the late 80s and the 90s. Yeah. I, I saw a, um, a Rolling Stone magazine who did uh, this year um, a list of like the 50 best grunge albums ever. And there was stuff in there that I was like, I, let me check. I, I wrote something down. I Oh, oh yeah. They had like um, the Stooges are in there, like the hip yeah. hop band, which is, well, they predate grunge. Yeah, they were an influence in grunge. So it's like 
but Neil Young is in there as well, which I yeah. think is really stretching it. <laughs> yeah, well, he was, you know, he uh, personally, I really like Neil Young, yeah, yeah, and, me too, and me too. he has some, you know, albums and live uh, live albums as well, which sounds sound yeah. a bit grungy, like a garage, yeah. maybe a dirty guitar sound. True, true. Also, he later said in an interview that he always wanted to uh, talk to Kurt. Yeah. And yep. tell him that he didn't need to do anything. And he later bonded with the guys from Pearl Jam. Yeah. They performed together. Yeah, they performed and, together. And I think uh, Eddie Vedder, the, the singer of Pearl Jam, later said that he was really happy to find somebody who uh, could lead by example. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Because uh, Neil Young <laughs> does whatever he wants to do exactly and if he has just made a really successful record then he doesn't feel pressured to make another one like that yeah if he wants to do something completely different then he goes True. out and do something yep. completely yep. different so in a way i get it because yep. of you know the more or less grungy guitar sound and the yep. fact that he was associated with yep. some of these people but it's true that grunge is like an empty Exactly, term. and also is it is is the term like is it is it about the music or is it about the era, area or is it about the attitude? Yeah. Because they're like later the on image. the image. Later on, we got like I think ninety two or something like that. There was that that movie. The year oh. punk broke. No, no, no. The, oh. the 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 fiction movie with Matt Dillon. Oh yeah, I uh, something with an S. I forgot. Yeah, I've. I know what you're yeah. talking about. Yeah, we'll yeah. probably... With all we'll, the grunge bands, except exactly, for Nirvana on it. Exactly. Yeah. We'll probably mention it sometime later because there were so many yeah. bands in there. But that was... Go to our Facebook page <laughs> and we'll tell you we'll, we'll tell what you movie there. we're talking but about. But that was also... That was like more of like the 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 image part of, of the grunge, yeah. like wearing those... those Flannel shirts. Exactly. And, yeah. yeah. But interesting thing about that Rolling Stone uh, best grunge albums... They also listed the fecal matter demo in there, which oh, I right. found really good. Yeah, yeah. because <laughs> uh, because it's musically it's not that good. No, but it's I mean they they I think they chose um, the most important yeah things. So that makes sense to have that in there because it's it's one of the the birth moments of whatever you want to call grunge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. Um, anyway, back to back Europe. to the UK. Yep. Yes, uh, because Nirvana arrived, and like I said, um, they drew kind of big crowds. Several hundreds of people showed up for the gigs. Yep. Be- yeah, like I said, mostly because uh, they had some press already. Um, other bands that were uh, label mates of them were had been there before as well. Yep. So that uh, worked out uh, pretty well, and I think that's also the reason why they were invited to um, do. Uh, um, a session at the BBC's, a John Peel session. Yeah, and which is all, all if if like if you do a John Peel session, that's uh, always really good publicity uh, yeah. because that's like an, an entity on its own. And uh, they showed up there and uh, they uh, uh, played pretty good, I think. Yeah. And nice. one of the songs they played was a new song uh, they had, or actually they had it lying around for some time. Yep. Polly is the one I'm I'm talking about. I've read somewhere that. Kurt had already written it before they uh, started to record Bleach, but he was afraid to put it on there because yep. they already had About a Girl as exactly. like a more pop-sounding song. Anyway, they did um, decide to play it for uh, for the BBC uh, session. Um, so here's uh, Polly. She 
I know why you played that part. Harmonies! harmonies. Yeah, yes. I know. Uh, <laughs> I know you always want to hear harmonies. Yeah. Um, uh. And, well, you know, they were smart enough that when they went to those sessions that they played their more um, commercial songs. Yep. Like, like like this one, like Polly, like Love Buzz. Yep. Uh, I think they did About a Girl. Yep. So they knew what they were doing and yep. when they had to... Um, show this side of them. Yeah, definitely. Um, and and it also it sounds really good. Uh, I mean, Polly's still. You can hear it's still sort of early days for this song, but like the the um, the, the clean sound of it huh. really pays off for a radio show. Yeah. yeah. And um, for the rest of, I don't want to talk to, uh, about Polly too much nope. <laughs> because we're also going to discuss uh, Nevermind and Incesticide <laughs> and Unplugged in New York. Exactly. And they all have Polly on them, so uh, we're gonna. Fast forward a little bit. Yep. Also, um, I'd like to propose to fast forward the UK um, part of the tour. Yep. A lot of interesting stuff happened, but I don't want to dive too much into that because next up is Holland. Yes. And we're Dutch, so we're chauvinistic and we <laughs> want to talk about that a little bit. Um, they had in quite, quite a lot of dates in the Netherlands, which yeah. I find really interesting. I think five, six, something like that. Which is interesting for the, the small country that we are. Um, we are a country that has a, 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 a nice tradition in, in going to see bands live. We have a great infrastructure of, of lovely places to play. But for a band that was still virtually unknown, it's a, it's a big tour. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so um, they... Uh went uh, to uh, the Netherlands uh, at the beginning of uh, November, I think uh, November 1st. Yep. <laughs> Their arrival didn't go too well. <laughs> nope. <laughs> because uh, Chris got really drunk. He drowned a bottle of whiskey. I believe on the way to the hotel, he started shouting at some uh, <laughs> local policemen. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, yeah, be uh, I believe the story is that they uh, stood behind a police car um, while waiting for a, a, a traffic light. Okay. But the police car didn't have its lights on, and okay. so Chris started shouting at him, "Put it, <laughs> turn your lights on!" You uh, something like that. Uh, luckily, we also have a pretty uh, relaxed uh, police yes. force, <laughs> so they didn't get into trouble for that. Nope. Um, he did get into trouble that when he uh, arrived at the hotel, he started shouting at the manager of yeah, the hotel because so. he thought. He looked like Freddie Mercury and <laughs> he called him, uh, let's say, the other F word. Yes. And, um, yeah. So they got kicked out of the hotel yeah. the very, uh, very first night. Which, which is uh, interesting because it's an hotel that, that would often have uh, bands there. So <laughs> You would say they were used to something, yep. but they weren't used to a, a drunken Chris, no <laughs> Fritzelic. So, um, yeah, that wasn't the best uh, start no. and it wasn't the best... Uh, but... Chris apologized the next day on the radio, yeah, which he is did. really nice of him. Yeah, <laughs> I think. because in the Netherlands as well, they were uh, um, invited to do uh, like a session yep. for the VPRO uh, radio show Nozems Agogo. Yep, and uh, that was presented by um, a uh, Dutch presenter called Lotje Eisermans. Uh, Wait, that, that went really fast. Uh, What's her name? <laughs> Lotje Eisermans. Right. Yes. Um, <laughs> female presenter who uh, who was uh, uh, early on uh, was interested already in uh, in Nirvana and she decided to uh, to get them into the studio because she was really interested in them um, I read a, um, a recent interview with her uh, that she uh, in which she reminisced about 
how that worked and how she loved that part of her job, being able to get those people into the studio and that they were really nice um, and that she was sad to see um, when she eventually went to see them in the Paradiso that there weren't that many people to see them live because she was like, I, I was hoping to get yeah. more. You probably mean when uh, she went to see them in the Melkweg. Oh, Melkweg, yeah, sorry. Not the yeah, not that the was later. So that yeah. was later. Yeah. So um, we have a, a studio session from uh, the Netherlands uh, as well. Yeah. Uh, let's have a listen to that. somebody with a hangover that bass playing sounds pretty good yeah so um, <laughs> he, he made up yeah <laughs> yeah um, so they played um, yeah heavier stuff yep yeah they did uh, yeah. for the BBC I think they they must have been informed quite well about what sort of radio shows they were gonna be at because for this radio show it made total sense to play more heavy stuff because they played even even weirder and heavier stuff than this uh, uh, on that show. Yeah, yeah. And for those of you uh, keeping track, this was a song called Dive, which yes. we talked about earlier, but uh, yeah, without Jason Everman, <laughs> the, exactly. the guitar uh, uh, player. So that same night, uh, they went to uh, Rotterdam, to a night town. Uh, in the pre-sale, about five tickets were sold. <laughs> uh, the owner uh, offered them uh, to cancel the show. Uh, they said, well, you're going to have to pay us anyway, so yep. uh, let's uh, let's play. Uh, in the end, about 66 paying customers showed up. Mm -hmm. And they got to see uh, a pretty okay show. Yep. Uh, well, I, I, I wasn't there. I was eight years old at the time. And had never heard of uh, Nirvana. <laughs> I wasn't there either, but I did hear them play on the radio then. Really? Yeah. Like live? Yeah. Wow, yeah. I, cool. I even recorded it on a cassette tape, which is now totally broken, so I don't have it anymore. But I uh, I had that. Yeah. Wow, that's that's pretty cool. So um, they started off well, uh, you know, quite okay with the, with the Rotterdam show. It was received pretty well. Yep. I mean, it it wasn't a big thing. I mean, sixty six no. people went to see it. So <laughs> what are we talking about? Um, um, but still, um, there's a, there's an audio recording of it. And we're going to have a listen to uh, Being a Sun. Another new song that yep. Kurt wrote, wrote around this uh, period. Again, you can hear uh, in which uh, direction he was going. So uh, those uh, 66 people, uh, <laughs> I hope they had, a, they had a good night. Next day, they went to uh, Groningen. Yes. Which is the city that I uh, went to, uh, to college. And I lived there for about five or six years. So it's always uh, good to see that name uh, come up. <laughs> All the way up in the north of the it's Netherlands. All the way up the north. Yeah, if you look at their um, 
the way they went across the country it doesn't make a lot of sense no no and 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 the rest of europe not really either because they they then they went to germany but later on they came back to belgium it, yeah. it's not that logical no it, it it must have been tough on them i mean they were crammed in a in a van together um yeah uh, being uh, <laughs> on the road not yeah. having a lot of money to spend playing show after show i mean they had never done this many shows no and i think i mean there's also a culture shock when you go from the usa to europe um maybe less so for chris because he he'd been a bit more to uh, his his family's home country um, but also then going to different countries uh, uh, in a couple of days that's bound to be uh, yeah with, with at that time uh, different currencies yep and well uh, like like it is today different <laughs> languages but uh, exactly yeah it's uh, yeah it must have been tough and also that we're touring together we haven't mentioned that with uh, the band called Ted yep um, it was the heavier than heaven tour yep and I think that referred to both their heavy sound as the weight of the uh, front man of <laughs> Ted a guy called Ted yep um, who was really really big guy yep. with oh, well I think. <laughs> Um, the most legendary story from it is that he um, had a lot of uh, stomach problems, so he had to throw up oh, every yeah. day. And for some reason, uh, Kurt was really keen on holding his bucket. <laughs> so apparently for him, it was like the highlight of the day when uh, Ted started to throw up. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Um, um, interesting <laughs> thing also, I think, about Ted, because... Um, They've kind of disappeared um, into the the unknown, even though they they broke up and they came back together, I think. But they haven't made it that big, uh, so most people don't know them. But what I found really interesting is that I think that Tad was uh, slightly ahead of uh, Nirvana in their recording because they recorded, um, like when they came back from this tour, they recorded a new uh, album, um, which was produced by Steve Albini. Oh, wow. Didn't who know that. later on did In Utero. And then the year after that, they recorded a new album, which was uh, produced by... Butch Fig? Yes. Really? Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> so that I found that really interesting. That, it it that, is, yeah. Yeah. Um, Maybe the fact that Ted didn't make it big um, had something to do with the fact that at one point after Nirvana became one of the biggest bands in the world, they were supposed to go uh, on tour with them again. Mm -hmm. But then uh, Ted, uh, the guy, said something nasty about uh, Courtney Love, Ah. who was Kurt's wife uh, uh, at that time. And so Kurt didn't want them on. Ah, So he kicked them out of the tour. And I think touring with Nirvana in those days was a really big opportunity. Yes, definitely. Yeah, that's a shame. Yeah, <laughs> so that's uh, bad luck for uh, for Ted. Um, but you're right. I think uh, at this point from pretty much every interview I've read with people who uh, went to see the tour, they uh, most of them said that they liked Ted better than Nirvana. Right, interesting. Yeah, <laughs> and I know there's a, there's a documentary being made about uh, Nirvana in the Netherlands. Mm-hmm. Um, there's an interview with the guy from uh, Groningen. Yep. Who, uh, who booked them or was the owner of the place or the manager, I don't know. And he's, uh, he wrote a, a review of it. 
Uh, and he uh, said that he liked Ted a lot better. Wow. And that losing uh, the fourth guitar player uh, put a lot of pressure on Kurt Cobain, as he wrote. <laughs> 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 so, um, but uh, yeah, they, they did a gig in, uh, in Agronium. 92 visitors. Uh, yeah. At least that's what I've... Going up. <laughs> <laughs> going up and also um, going down uh, two days later. <laughs> yeah, and uh, another... Um, Factoid I've read is that uh, Kurt apparently threw up in front of a uh, um, student's uh, faculty that <laughs> night. Oh, wow. Okay. Because let's not forget, uh, Ted had uh, stomach problems, but Kurt, Kurt. had Kurt yep. health problems as well. Definitely. And I think before they went to Europe, he had like extensive uh, hospital visits because of his stomach problems. So that was really a factor that, that started weighing in during this period. So uh, Yeah, and also he was on a diet of, of, of junk food and candy. And exactly, and, and being on tour isn't healthy either because you don't have really time to eat properly um, because you're constantly uh, traveling or, or rehearsing or playing or whatever. So that must have been bad for his condition as well. Yeah, yeah. Somebody noted that when they got a pizza for the guys, that Turk, uh, Kurt took everything off. Wow. Yeah. Just did, uh, ate like the, the bottom of it. So after uh, Groningen, uh, they went to uh, Utrecht. Still going up. 125 uh, people uh, showed up nice. at the Tivoli. Um, I was there quite recently. They have a picture of Kurt uh, uh, somewhere uh, oh, nice. on, the, uh, oh, on the inside now. See that. Uh, after that, November 4th, they went to... Uh, Apeldoorn, mm-hmm. um, and that was probably the worst show. They uh, played for only 30 minutes, <laughs> and then they were so frustrated, it was horrible, and they decided to trash their gear. I mean, they did stuff like that before, but this yep. time they really... Uh, <laughs> really trashed it. <laughs> really well, trashed to, it. To be honest, Apeldoorn isn't, isn't the spot you would expect um, the biggest Nirvana audience to be. No, that's... Yeah, maybe, maybe not, maybe not. Um, but they went on uh, destroying things uh, in the dressing room. Um, I've read somewhere that they broke a vase and then Kurt put the flowers in his pants. So <laughs> just to give you a little uh, little nice. impression. Um, after that, their uh, tour manager, uh, Edwin Heath, he uh, had a, a good conversation with them that they had to better their ways. And they kind of did because they... Um, closed off their um, tour in the Netherlands mm-hmm. or the Dutch part of yep. the tour in um, Amsterdam yes, uh, with a, a, a show at the Melkweg in which your cousin uh, wasn't, <laughs> you just said. <laughs> exactly, my cousin, uh, which I mentioned uh, in the first episode because uh, he introduced me to Nirvana. He uh, wanted to uh, get to that show, but he didn't have any money. So he tried to sneak in, but it didn't work. <laughs> no, and it probably didn't work because, again, not a lot of people showed up. So it's exactly. it pretty hard to sneak in. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. But still, there were about around 200 people. Mm. Official. Yeah. Uh, say. Uh, oh, talking about official documents. One more uh, detail about the Appledore oh, show. Right. Yeah, is, uh, the nice <laughs> uh, yeah, the contract is missing. They tried to look it up, I think, for the documentary. Right. No, maybe it's, I think it, they still had it in the documentary and after that it disappeared. Okay. So somebody stole that uh, contract on which uh, Kurt wrote his name and probably signed an autograph. Yeah. So... Um, Makes may- sense to uh, <laughs> nick it. Yeah. It's probably worth uh, uh, a lot more than they got paid for. Uh, yeah. Uh, 
the so show. So if if you if you're listening and you have that contract like hanging on your wall, send us a picture. We yeah. we won't we won't tell tell everyone your name, but just send it to us. And yeah. Then. Or if you don't want to send us uh, a picture, just send a contract and we'll make <laughs> yeah, a picture of that's, it. Uh, that's fine as well. Ourselves. <laughs> um, Anyway, uh, back to the to the last uh, show um, they did in the Netherlands, um, the uh, Amsterdam gig. Um, they uh, ended that show with a version of uh, Vendetta Against. Hear their pop sensibilities come through. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> no, it was a total, uh, total noise uh, track. After the Netherlands, they went on to German, Germany, Hungary, Austria, and then to Italy. Yes. Um, by the way, if you want to follow this uh, this tour, you can uh, uh, turn to Twitter. We're just a little bit late with this uh, podcast <laughs> show, uh, actually, because um, there's this uh, hashtag Nirvana Euro Thirty in which um, they uh, follow the entire tour. So uh, you can see day by day where they were playing, um, uh, see some pictures of it. They also ask for uh, memorabilia. Wow, that's a tough word to (laughs) say. Uh, And footage uh, uh, from it. I think it's um, uh, initiative of uh, livenirvana.com which is a great source of information about uh, stuff like this. Yeah, and, and the nice thing is that there's some stuff in there. Uh, if you if you look at that hashtag, that is really new or, or newish or at least stuff that isn't easily available uh, in other sources. So it's really nice yeah. to see those uh, extra things yeah, there. That's right. Uh, one of the things that uh, recently turned up is uh, a show from Italy. Uh, in which uh, Kurt uh, joined Ted yep. and actually uh, sang a, a, a few of their songs. So uh, let's uh, have a listen to a, a bit of a Ted featuring Kurt Cobain. Goblins. Yes, if you were wondering what they were shouting, that was Wood Goblin. <laughs> yeah, you can uh, you can listen to the uh, entire performance on uh, YouTube. Yep. Uh, there's no um, uh, video footage, but uh, somebody uh, threw in some uh, some pictures of the guy, so that gives you a nice uh, nice impression. Um, then the tour um, ended in Italy in Rome on a very uh, yeah on a bit of a sad note, I think because. Yep. Uh, the stress of and the tough touring life was really taking a toll on uh, on Kurt. And the guys from Sopap, uh, they flew. Yeah, they flew in. They flew in. I think they said it was well. It, it was probably to to support them. Yeah. But it kind of um, yeah made a bad impression because, like we said, they were crammed in a van for a month with 
not a lot of money to spend, bad food, gig after gig after gig after gig after gig. And then these record uh, company (laughs) guys, the big cheese comes and flies in with an airplane just to say hi. Yep. Well, yeah, so their their good intentions uh, kind of backfired. Yep, I think so. And Kurt decided to quit the band. Yeah, everybody decided to quit the yeah, band. Yeah, but first first Kurt decided to quit the band. And then, yeah, <laughs> the others did as well. Yeah, because without Kurt, there wouldn't be a band anyway. Exactly. Yeah. And apparently when Kurt said he'd quit the band, then I think the Sub Pop guys did say to him, well, we would be interested in you as a solo artist as well. Really? Oh. Yeah, that's, that's at least what I read. But I think it all went pretty quickly because Kurt said I, I, I'm quitting and then the others quit as well and then well they might as well just continue <laughs> yeah yeah well I, I think what happened is it was, he was really fed up with it yeah. he was probably not feeling well because of all of the pressure exactly. and the, the horrible tour schedule um, homesick as well maybe yep. there's uh, records that he sent a lot of postcards to his uh, girlfriend yep. Tracy Miranda he was having his, his health problems. So, um, yeah, it, it almost entirely broke down that, yep. that night. Yep. And, um, yeah, you can kind of hear it uh, during the show because, uh, well, uh, it ended uh, like this. Yeah, so they uh, they cut short um, a spank through. I think Kurt yep. made a made a mistake and something had some technical problems with yep, his guitar again, and yeah, uh, lots of and he quit. He ran off. He climbed on top of a stack of, of amplifiers and threatened to jump off. Yep. One source says that the crowd started to uh, roar, jump, jump. <laughs> uh, other sources say that everybody was really shocked by it and he was uh, he was going crazy basically. Yep. Like you say, a sad ending to the tour. Thankfully, it didn't end the band. No. But it makes sense after that whole year. I mean, we're... What's this? Like, end of November, I think? Something like that? Beginning of December? Um, Yeah, that's right. And they started touring in the US in February. So that must have been exhausting. I think they did about 100 gigs. Yeah. Over 100 gigs, I think, one year. Yeah. In in about 300 days. So, yeah. That's a lot. Yeah. If you want to get um, more of an impression um, of these days in the career of Nirvana, Mr. Bruce Pavitt from a Sop Up uh, label, he also published a book. Oh, right, yeah. He took a lot of photographs. Yeah. I collected them in a book. Well, I think it came out a couple of years ago. Yeah. I must say, I haven't seen it. Uh, I've, yeah, I've seen pictures from it, but I didn't. I don't own the book. So. I don't own it either, but I, I've, I've seen it. I've, I've flicked through it, and uh, it's. Uh, I think it's really interesting if... Uh, if you're into that sort of like uh, photo books, then this is really a nice one because yeah. it gives a really interesting look behind the scenes and, and candid moments. And uh, yeah, it's nice. Yeah. And um, so the next day after everybody basically quit <laughs> the band and Kurt had a, had a breakdown, 
um, they had to uh, patch things up. Yep. So they went walking through London, uh, uh, Rome. Rome. So they went to the Colosseum, I think. Yep. And um, Kurt was promised a new guitar to please him a little <laughs> bit, something like that. Yeah, probably. And then you know they um, they got together again, or they decided to stay together. Yep. Depends on how you uh, look at it. Uh, right in time because the most important gig from the tour was coming up. So they did uh, a couple more shows uh, before they went back to the UK yep. to perform in London at some sort of um, a showcase event. Yep. Uh, it was called uh, the Lame Fest. Lame uh, Fest, yeah. yeah Sub Pop organized uh, several um, uh, nights under the title of Lame Fest. Yep. It was like, um, like I said, like a showcase of their, their bands. Exactly. They did that in the US already and it, it had been... Quite successful. I think they did it like somewhere in 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 June already in in the US, and they had like Tad and Mud Honey there as well. And again, Sub Pop was really good at at marketing, and that whole idea of calling it Lame Fest really attracted the crowd. Yeah. Apparently, they had like T-shirts that said "Loser" on it, mm-hmm. and and they sold really well. And so it it <laughs> it connected with people. Yeah. So that was a good idea. Yeah, and uh, not only were there a lot of fans, there were also a lot of um, um, executives from record companies yes. and important people from the from the music industry. Yep. Well, Nirvana came on. They had again they had technical difficulties in the in the first song. I believe Kurt broke a string or something yeah, like that. Yeah, I think so. So yep. the second song is them jamming on a, a "Wanna Be Your Dog." <laughs> uh, let's listen to that. hearing this I also like how you hear somebody in the crowd laughing (laughs) (laughs) but it also it has sort of that um, I think we talked before about like sex pistols and stuff like that um, which were like the quintessential British punk band and and this sort of appeals to that feel a bit so I can I can see how this would sort of sort of work (laughs) yeah but I can also um, see how it wouldn't really impress the no. hot shots no. from the music industry. No. But what have to, happened after that is pretty uh, remarkable, I think, because uh, again, some sources say that uh, Nirvana totally rocked it and they w- were a big success. Yep. Other sources say that they totally sucked, uh, like um, the drummer from Mud Honey, yep. Dan Peters. He said um, that it was it was a, it was a disaster. Um, but but yeah. Again, uh, I wasn't there. It's, it's hard to judge. I do know that this was a very important night in their career because yes. they did attract attention from other record labels and stuff. So they must have done something right. Yep. Yeah, definitely. It, it, it must have been uh, interesting at least. Yeah. Yeah. And they played some of their uh, new uh, stuff uh, as well. I want to... Uh, and this podcast with a, a short listen to a, a one of their new songs, uh, which most people will know as Breed, because it's on the uh, very well-known Nevermind album. Yes. Um, back in the days, it was still called Imodium. Oh, yeah, right. After True. an uh, anti-diarrhea uh, <laughs> <Yes>. uh, <laughs> substance that Ted Doyle uh, took. 
but I think it's uh, it's cool to see that they uh, already worked in some nevermind material yeah. into their set and maybe that's also something that attracted the attention and interest of other uh, other record labels. Yeah. So here's uh, Breed slash Imodium as it sounded uh, on that night. record uh, <laughs> company executive would you think oh I have to sign that band well I, I mean it's it's hard to say in hindsight because like you know the song yeah so hearing it like this now and and like I'm enjoying this version uh, but that could also be because I already know the yeah. song but if at least if you listen to it like carefully you can hear that they they play it well and it sounds different um, from some of the other bands and some of the other stuff. I think the 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 basses is not as clear, but that could be the recording. You don't know how yeah. that sounded uh, uh, when you were there, uh, because that's one of the, the standout things, I think, in this song that makes it different from, from other songs. But Yeah, and yeah. the pure energy that they have. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, so um, I think that's mostly it for uh, for uh, 1989. Yes. Um, Except for the fact that on the very last day, is that what you were going to say? <laughs> Go ahead. Okay. <laughs> yes. um, Chris Noforselic got married. Exactly. I thought to... let's let's end on a really nice, positive fairy tale note. Yeah, he got married to his uh, his girlfriend uh, Shelley Dilly. Yes. Which whom he had been together for a long time. That yep. They've been apart. For, for a while, for a while as but well, but yeah. they got back together. And on uh, New Year's Eve, uh, they uh, they got married. So uh, that's, uh, that's a nice ending, uh, I think, uh, for this episode. Yep. So I want to thank you for uh, joining me once again to talk about uh, Nirvana. Yes, thank you for having me. And I want to thank everybody uh, out there listening. And I also want to thank uh, Joop Hillegi from uh, Piano Nirvana uh, for... Did I say it right? Other way around. Other way around. Nirvana <laughs> Piano um, for uh, providing our uh, theme music. Yes. So um, if you uh, like what you're hearing, please uh, subscribe and rate and review and do whatever you can to support us. And we will talk to you next time. Bye. Goodbye.